Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. My name is Parker Brown, and I'm part of the core community of CMYK. We're a group of people in Billings, Montana, creating space and community where belief and doubt move forward together. Before we jump in, I want you to know everything we do as CMYK depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you who are working with us to live a more beautiful way forward together. So if you love that CMYK is up to and want to be a part of the community on a financial level, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to cmykchurch.com. Through your donation, we're able to continue our work and give away more and more to those in need around us. You can easily give a one-time gift or choose to be a regular part of our creation through a monthly gift of any amount. To those who are giving, thank you. With that, let's jump into this week's talk. Today, uh, we are continuing in on our series that we've been in the last couple weeks now that we simply entitled The New Normal. As so many of us are trying to figure out what the new normal is going to look like, whether it's for the next season of time or just from here on out when it comes to life and social interactions and businesses, all those kinds of things, we as CMYK, this community, are choosing to take just a few weeks to talk about the new normal when it comes to our spirituality and how this COVID-19 thing could possibly link into and point to new life or resurrection when it comes to our spirituality and how we're choosing to interact with that in the world. And so last week, we talked about this idea of belief and God and what that means and what that looks like. And today, I want to talk about something that I'm sure all of us have some sort of opinion or concept or thoughts on some level, and that is this thing known as the Bible. The Bible is something that, again, all of us probably already have some opinion or thought on. And for many of us, whether it's a house that we grew up in or the current state that we are in, we might label the Bible as this thing known as the book. In other words, this is the text, the thing that you need and should have when it comes to all things about life and God and understanding what's right and wrong, good and bad, everything that we need to know about life comes from this book. So if you have a question, you go to the Bible. If you're looking for answers, you go to the Bible. If you're curious what's right and wrong and bad and good, all of those things, you go to the Bible because everything is found there. It's this divine text. It is the book above and beyond any other book that could ever be published or talked about or any other thought or idea that could be presented. It's found here. And there are groups of people, individuals, that see the Bible as this thing. Now, you could move all the way over to the other side of the spectrum and find that there are those that see this thing known as the Bible as simply a book. It's just a book in the midst of all the other books and texts that are out there. And it's a really old book. It's one that's been around for a long time. It's one that's caused a lot of controversy and debate. There's a lot of stories. It's weird. It's different. It's awkward. It feels archaic at times. And it's just one of those things that can easily live on a shelf just next to other historic texts, the works of Shakespeare and of Green Gables, whatever the text might be. It's just a book, a text. It's got some history to it. Yes, but it's just a book. And no matter where you are on that spectrum, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you on some level, have some thought or interaction with where you land on that spectrum, how you view this text known as the Bible. In other words, there's a normal for how you interact with this book. There's a normal for your life for how you think about and process this text. 
And I know for some of you, even me bringing up the idea of like, hey, we're going to spend the next few minutes and we're going to talk about this thing known as the Bible. For you, <laughs> that is just something that's like, ah, seriously? Okay, how do I get off of this feed? Because I'm sure there's another YouTube live stream out there somewhere that I'd rather watch than some guy talking about the Bible. That's not why I'm here. I get that. But hold up for just a minute because there's a reason that we need to talk about this when we talk about normal and the new normal. When I was a kid, uh, my parents uh, decided that it would be a fancy special thing for us to be able to go out to eat, to have dinner out on the town. I'm sure many of your families grew up like that. It was not a common thing for the Blakesley household to be able to go out to eat and order whatever it is that we wanted. But there were those rare occasions when Bob and Mary Blakesley would decide it's time to take the boys out for a meal. And we were always, always, always so excited to eat out and not have to eat at home. And so when it came to fine dining, when it came to the place that the Blakesleys were going to go, when it was a special night out, it were, there was one thing that we always seemed to go to, and it's this fine dining establishment known as Taco Bell. Taco Bell was the place that it seemed like our family went to more than any other restaurant when it was time to eat out. And we weren't complaining at all. That's what we knew, and that's what we loved. It was awesome. And so every time we would go to Taco Bell, because it was this place that we all knew and we had a great relationship with, there was this understood rule when it came to Taco Bell. And that was we could go in and we could order one of three things. We could order a bean burrito or we could order a taco, hard shell or soft shell. So three items, those were our choices. Now, as Blakesley boys, we were not complaining about those choices. In fact, I don't think I ever actually looked at or read the menu at all through most of my childhood because there was no point because anytime we would go to Taco Bell, those were our three choices. I remember one time my older brother asked, hey, can I get this instead? And the response was, no, no, you can't get the Mexican pizza. What do you think we are, made of money? No, you can have a bean burrito, a hard shell taco or a soft shell taco. That was always the choice. And so for me growing up, that's what Taco Bell was. You go to Taco Bell and you choose out of those three things. Now, just imagine, try to picture this if you will, the time in my life when I become an adult, I'm now a man and I go into Taco Bell with my own money and I begin to discover this restaurant that I still love has more than just a bean burrito, hard shell or soft shell taco. But there is this thing on the menu called a steak quesarito. Now people, if you haven't had this, Everybody, just calm down. Don't rush out to Taco Bell right away because there's going to be a little bit of a line probably. But this thing is incredible. And I never even knew that this thing was a thing until I actually looked at the menu and began to read and understand what Taco Bell actually offers in full. A steak quesarito. It's not good for you. It's not healthy. But it's so good. On top of that, there's things like a cheesy gordita crunch, hello, or even just a chicken or steak quesadilla, depending upon how crazy you feel you can get one of those two things. Now, here's why I bring that up. I spent my whole life believing that Taco Bell had three things, and those were the only three things that you ever needed to know about when it came to Taco Bell. The reality was Taco Bell has always had a variety on its menu with lots of different choices and lots of different things and an opportunity to try different things with different toppings and different meats and all those things. I never even knew about that stuff because I was just only focused and only introduced to these three things. The scriptures, the Bible, 
for many of us, has potentially been introduced to us or talked about on a certain level that here's what this is, and it's one or two or maybe three things. And that's all that you know it as, and that's all that you see it as. And for some of you, that's enough. You are fully uh, okay with the fact that the rest of your interaction with this text is going to be one of these three things. It's going to be like this. I'm going to read it like this. I'm going to interact with it like this. For others of us, Maybe those three things have gone a little stale. Maybe those three things that we were handed as this is what the Bible is. It's something that is no longer appetizing, no longer helpful for our life. And so we're finding ourselves desiring to just set it down. And I want to say right out of the gates, if you've set it down, if you want to set it down, that's okay. But here's what I hope you see. There is a variety, a smorgasbord, if you will, of things happening with the scriptures that I think matter. And where you maybe have a normal for what it looks like for you to interact with the Bible, my hope is that there is potentially a new normal that you would be invited into. Particularly for many of us potentially watching this, the Bible and the scriptures have simply been something that we've interacted with when someone else is talking about it, when someone else is introducing it into our life, like a CMYK gathering that we talk about these stories and these texts and these ideas. That's not a bad thing, but for many of us, that's just the bean burrito, and that's all we've experienced with this thing. And for me, I want to poke at tonight, and I want to talk about this thing and ask the question, is there more to the menu? Is there more to what this text could be for you as an individual, for us as a community? That there would be something behind it to do what this whole thing called CMYK is about, and that is for us to find a more beautiful way forward together. So we're going to talk about the Bible. And we're going to talk about what it is and what it isn't. And where there's a myriad of directions that we could go with this conversation and different places that you know we could spend time and energy on, I want to just focus on two things that the Bible is not and that it actually is. And the first thing is that we have to understand is the Bible is not a book. It's a library. Now, the words, the Bible, come from this, these Greek words that means the books. That's what it literally means, the books. Now, the Bible's made up of lots of books like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Genesis, Exodus, Revelation. You've probably heard some of those before. Those are all texts or books in and of themselves. And they have been joined together, brought together by the Christian church, particularly with the Christian Bible, and bound into one single volume. But it was never just one book. It's always been a library. In other words, multiple texts. And just like a library, this collection of books has different names. It has different authors, has different time periods, comes from different worldviews and different language. There's different cultures, there's different agendas, there's different perspectives that are brought up. And so just like a library, when you walk into a library, you do not expect to see just one voice one idea and one thought in everything that you pick up, you understand that there's going to be different authors and different things happening with the text that are taking place. And the Bible is the exact same thing. It's like a library that you find different time periods and worldviews, language, cultures, agendas, and perspectives. But on top of all of that, just like within a library, you could be in different literary genres, sections of the library. So you have science fiction and you have romance and you have Uh, let's say, uh, textbooks, these kinds of things, you can be in these different literary genres and understand what it is that you're about to interact with. This is what the scriptures are as well. There's different literary genres represented within the text. So there's genres like poetry, 
There's genres like wisdom literature, which is a significant thing within ancient cultures to have something be wisdom literature. There's history to it. There's some law. There's letters. There's prophecy. There's gospels. So there's different genres. And just like when you go into a movie and you're sitting down to watch that movie, just remember the good old days. You go to a movie, you got a popcorn. There's like actual people around you. Good old days. And you're going to a movie. You understand what genre of film you're about to experience. And so that means you have a certain head on your shoulders to about to experience that, to perceive what it is that's about to happen. So if you sit down for a science fiction film and you see crazy whiz-bang technology and things that you know, there's no way that that's real. Or you see someone flying or you see, you know, these crazy alien creatures, those kinds of things. You know I'm in science fiction here. And so you're not bringing a documentary kind of mindset to what's happening on the screen. This isn't real. There's something behind the story that's being talked about, that's being invited in conversation to think about maybe whatever's happening with the story on the screen. But you're not bringing a documentary idea or thought to the film that you're about to experience. And in fact, it's an incredibly broken and messy thing to take a narrative film, something that isn't real, that isn't true, but is trying to tell a story, and to try and turn that into documentary. In other words, someone to watch a film where someone just steps out and flies and we see that on the screen we go yeah that's real life and then to think that someone is then going to go step out onto a ledge and try to fly it can be a dangerous thing we need to understand this isn't real this is pretend there's something behind it the same is true with scripture that if you and I don't understand what genre the text is written in, we don't understand the perspective, we don't understand what's happening behind the scenes with the story, it can be incredibly damaging. That we take something that was never meant to be taken literal and we choose to make this thing into a documentary, if you will, a history documentary, even though it was never written in that kind of voice or context, it was always a different genre. Now, here's why we need to talk about this idea that the Bible is not a book, it's a library. The Bible, for you and I to interact with it on a healthy level, and for you to find a more beautiful way forward with it, it's always going to take your brain. And I know some of us are like, yep, I'm out, I'm done. Uh, this feels a whole lot like school, and this is nothing that I want to see happen in my life. I'm trying to get out of school, I'm trying to get out of textbooks and those kinds of ideas. But I say that because here is this text that I think is significant, is beautiful, and is an invitation into a more beautiful way forward, yes. But it's always going to take your brain. It's always going to take some level of work to understand what's happening here, what genre are we in, what time period are we in, and to be able to experience that. And when we can dive into what's really happening with this library of texts from different voices and time periods and literary genres, then we can begin to understand what's taking place with it. But it's always going to take your brain, <laughs> which is why many of us have potentially chosen to go Okay, we'll just set it right there and just let it be for a while because I'm not interested in doing that. It's why many of us potentially are not finding ourselves interacting with it on any level. We would rather watch someone on a screen or listen to someone else talk about it than us have to process and think about it. And I think that that can potentially be damaging for our lives. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But next, I want to talk about what the Bible isn't and what it is. And that is that it's not the law, its illumination. Now, what we know is that 
the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, that the first part of that is known as the law within Jewish custom and tradition. That if there was any question about how to go about life, how to please God, how to interact with man, how to interact with the planet on a healthy level, they had these texts, the beginning of the Bible, known as the law. And so much time and so much energy and dialogue and conversation is spent historically around this text known as the law. What's right and what's wrong? So much blood, sweat, and tears were spent trying, worrying about, okay, we want to make sure to get this right. What does the law, this, these scriptures, what do they communicate? And we don't want to get it wrong. And Jesus shows up at a time 2,000 years ago when this conversation is at a high. And there's a lot of different debate and conversation taking place from different sects within religious belief and thought within Judaism. And so Jesus shows up. Just imagine this, if you will. I know it's ancient culture, but just imagine it. There are groups of people that are spending all of their time and energy debating about what an ancient text says. And they're allowing that text, the law, to define for them what's good what's bad, what's right, and what's wrong, who they can love, who they can't love, who they can welcome with open arms and who they should shut out and shun and say, I can't have anything to do with you. And all of these conversations are based on what the law, this text says. It's a crazy world. There's ancient culture. And it feels a little bit like today, if we're honest for many of us. But this is what this was. And Jesus shows up into this place and this time. And one of the major things that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, continually had, one of the major issues they had with Jesus was his continual interaction with this law. It was different than what they thought it should have been. So the debate was heated. He can't do that. He can't say that. He can't go there. This is against the law, the scriptures, the text. And so they can't believe him, trust him, or lean into what's happening. In fact, there is this huge moment that takes place in the Gospel of Mark, and I find it incredibly fascinating. It says, One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So there is a very clear rule, guideline, and directive that's found within the scriptures about this holy sacred day known as the Sabbath within Jewish culture and what was to be done and not to be done. It's very clear within the text. And there is this moment where Jesus and his followers are walking through the grain fields, picking the heads off the grain, eating it, and that is unlawful. There, there is no, no gray area on this. It is unlawful for them to do on the Sabbath. And so this is a gotcha moment for the Pharisees. Ha ha! We caught him. We now know that Jesus is not following the law, the scriptures. So he's a heretic. He's wrong. He's evil. He's bad. We can shun him. That's what's taking place here. So Jesus responds to this accusation and he, and he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He, uh, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the name of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Now, David, King David, is a historical figure within Jewish culture and tradition that is more celebrated than almost any other king more adored, and is the guy that everybody hopes kind of shows up and rules and reigns again, similar to how David ruled and reigned. And so here's a guy, here's, here's everybody's, you know, Michael Jordan of kings, if you will, like, I mean, if we just had more like that guy, everything would be better. And so here is David, and Jesus points 
to this king and says, yeah, but there's a moment that even King David didn't follow the law. Again, clear black and white. This is not okay. This is what the text and the Bible scriptures say. But yet David did it and he's still celebrated. He's still one that you guys are for and about. So what's happening here? And Jesus goes on and he said to them, the Sabbath, this holy sacred day, this law was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What's Jesus mean by this interaction? Because it's very clear that he is breaking the law. He is breaking the scriptures. Jesus uses this statement in this phrase to say this holy sacred day, this law, it was made and intended as a service to man, to mankind and to humanity. And that's what it's there for, to serve us. Not to reverse it, and you have this thing known as the law, and you have this thing called humanity that is working to surround itself around this thing known as the law or the scriptures or the Bible, and work really hard to make sure that we cross every T and dot every I and do everything that this book says or else. That's us working to serve this text. No, we're not here to serve this text. We're here to allow this text to serve us. What does he mean by that? If this book is not the law, it's illumination. Well, Jesus, as we talk about it all the time, was this presence, this personality of the divine. And in his work and in his life, we see over and over and over again that the, defi- the divine is found in the act of love, sacrificial love, the giving of oneself for the sake of those around them. This was the life of of Christ. This was the invitation of Christ to those around him, that you would find your, lo- your life in service to others, that you would be the embodiment of love. This is what this is all about, and this is what Christ was all about. And so here is this interaction with this thing known as the law, and the invitation for Christ is, there is this thing known as the law, the scriptures, let's say the Bible, And its purpose and its intent is to serve humanity, to serve you and to serve me in learning to understand and see what this life of love could look like. So you take even the teachings of Jesus. So Jesus takes the Old Testament law and he begins to point at it and say, okay, this is not something that we're here to serve and make sure that we get everything just exactly right. It's meant to serve us in this way towards love and sacrifice. And then you look at some of the most directive things, that Je- the direct things that Jesus ever said. Things like sell all your possessions. Things like walk two miles instead of one in service of one another. Turn the other cheek in service of one another. Put up all you own in the collection. Give up your clothes. Cut off your hand. Gouge out your eye. These are very direct and clear things that Jesus says that seem pretty black and white. So what's happening here? Is Jesus demanding and and claiming that everybody who reads these texts are supposed to sell all their possessions? It's a new law. Turn the other cheek. Give up your clothes. Gouge out your eye. That this is what Jesus is demanding because it's the law. And so you must serve this. No. Jesus is illuminating this idea of what love possibly demands of you and of me. In other words, rather than finding this universal law that, that just 
demands, no matter the scenario, no matter the situation, no matter the person or what's taking place in that individual situation, that this is what you must do, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, and so the, the letter has been spoken. The period is at the end of the sentence. You must do this and live like this. Jesus is inviting a completely different way of interacting with the world around us, that there are these things that are invited to serve us in each individual and unique scenario and situation. And here are some stories and here are some ideas of what this love could look like, what love demands at times. You see, this is an invitation for us to see our lives be fully present with what's happening around us. And for us to see and, and, and experience the world around us and to be fully honest in the moment, in the reality of what's good, what's beautiful, what's true, what's harmful, what's broken, what's messy, and to be fully honest about that. And then to be open to things outside of ourselves and to go through this process that we might be this embodiment of love. But to go through that process on an individual basis. So if you have a situation, let's say with your neighbor and you're trying to figure out what the right thing or the wrong thing to do with your neighbor is, this process of working to be fully present, fully honest, fully open to things outside of ourselves, that we may be the embodiment of love is far more difficult than just opening a text and saying, well, the Bible says, and then moving on. Because to just open a text and to say, well, the Bible says, is not truly entering into anybody's life, is not truly embracing or loving anyone, because all you're doing is being able to write off the situation and the scenario as, well, the Bible says, compared to the Bible this being this illumination of what love could look like. That after being fully present and fully honest and fully open, that love would demand at times that I might need to sell what I have for the sake of the other. And it's not a law that I just do as a robot. It's something that I do because I'm fully invested and fully a part of someone's life and scenario and situation. Love might mean in this situation that I actually turn the other cheek. This isn't a demand that I actually have to do every single time, no matter what. This is something that I understand love demands. And the scriptures are an illumination of what that can be. See, here's what we know. For many of us, we have seen a culture. And for many of us, we've even potentially lived lives. Where we've spent years not listening to the people around us, not being fully present with the culture and what's taking place in the world. And we find ourselves in this position and in this place where we over and over and over again have shut out and taken down different groups of people because of their beliefs, because of their sexuality, because of their history because of how they see things. And we just have taken this text and we've just said, well, this is the law. And so I'm just going to be spitting truth to you. And that's how we choose to interact with the world and the people around us. And so again, I can understand why so many of you 
potentially want to just set this book down and be done with it. Because all it is, is it's used to discriminate. All it's used is to shrink our worldview, shrink our ability to actually be present, honest, and open with others around us. But for me, and I think for the actual biblical writers, this was not meant to be, particularly the words of Christ, were not meant to be a new law, but to be an illumination of what love might demand. Because that's the conversation it's trying to have. In this moment, in your particular scenario and question and struggle and problem, what does love demand? What might you need to give up and break yourself open and pour yourself out for the suffering of those around you? And it's going to look different for every individual, unique situation and scenario. These are not universal things that we just say, well, you always do that and you always go this way. No, you breathe deep, you're present, you're honest, you're open with what's happening and you work to be the embodiment of love in that scenario. And the scriptures have continually been this illumination, this story of what love might demand and an invitation into that. So I want to end with this. Can we just set the Bible down? Can you just choose to set it over there and let it collect dust and still interact with the divine and still move forward in this present, honest, open love? And I hope you hear me. Yes. Yes, you can. You can totally do that. And I know many of you have potentially already done that. And that is your normal. In fact, I, I've, one of my favorite quotes of something that I've read in the last couple weeks, couple months, uh, is in a text that I referenced last week as well. And it's a text known as The Universal Christ by Richard Rohr. It's something I would highly recommend if you're looking for something to read to get kind of the brain nuggets stirring a little bit if you desire some of that thought. But when it comes to this idea of the Bible being the end-all, be-all thing that you have to interact with or else you're not interacting with God— I don't agree with that. And so if you need to set it aside, you can set it aside. This is what Richard Rohr said. God did not just start talking to us with the Bible or the church or the prophets. Do we really think that God had nothing at all to say for 13.7 billion years and starting to speak only in the last latest nanosecond of geological time? Did all history prior to our sacred text provide no basis for truth or authority? Of course not. The radiance of the divine presence has been glowing and expanding since the beginning of time, before there were any human eyes to see or know about it. But in the mid-19th century, grasping for the certitude and authority the church was quickly losing in the face of rationalism and scientism, Catholics declared the Pope to be infallible and evangelicals decided the Bible was inerrant. Despite the fact that we had gotten along for most of 1,800 years without either belief. In fact, these claims would have seemed idolatrous to most early Christians. This text is a book, yes. And for many, it is the book, yes. But wherever your normal is on that spectrum, my hope is that where the scriptures are this library that invite us to engage our brain and this illumination into what love might demand, 
that you would be interacting with it. And the reason I say that is because our tendency is to not always engage our brain around conversations about spirituality, engage our brains around things like human history and where we've been and what's come before us, engage our brains on things like what does love demand and be illuminated to those kinds of things. Our tendency for most of us is to find our lives simply continuing down the same path that we've chosen that this is what I'm going to do, and we just work to continue to confirm those biases, ideas, and politics, and beliefs. And we just continue to go through life. And the scriptures for me are something that continue to invite me to engage my brain, to think about, and to process, okay, how am I doing at being present, at being honest, at being open, and finding what love might demand? It's a text that continues to do that for me. And if you need to set it aside, you can set it aside. But the question then becomes for me, so what is it for you that is engaging your brain on an individual level? What is it for you that is stirring and illuminating what love might look like in your life? This idea of sacrifice and giving for the sake of the other that many of us believe when it comes to this community of CMRK. What are you choosing to engage to make that happen? Not just listening to someone else talk about it, but you yourself are choosing to engage. Whatever it is, I hope that you find something and that there is potentially a new normal for what it looks like for you to engage your brain and for you to be illuminated in what it means to find this way of love. Because this matters. And that we would not find our lives just continuing down this path on our same biases and approaches and thoughts and beliefs but that we work hard to find these things that help us to be present, honest, open, to see what love would demand, that we can truly be that embodiment. I hope that you're doing well. And my hope and desire is, again, there's no part of me that wanted to say, so here's a devotional plan. So go do these 10 things. And that's not what this is about at all. But my hope and desire is that you're finding something, whether it's the scriptures or something else, that you are choosing to engage. And for many of us, that thing that we choose to engage outside of scripture, it comes from scripture. And it's this thing known as the Lord's Prayer. That for many of us, this is an opportunity to be present, to be honest with what's going on, to be open, that we can be the embodiment of love. For far too long, the church has used this book, the Bible, to continue to discriminate and hate and push people away and find reasons and excuses for why I don't need to engage, why I don't need to work to understand, why I don't need to work to give myself to this thing. And this work of actually being illuminated to what love might be demanding is so much more work and so much more energy and so much more life-draining, yes. But it's in this new normal that we find resurrection. It's in choosing to breathe deep around things like this Lord's Prayer and taking a pause and asking ourselves the question, what does it look like? For God's kingdom, this kingdom of love, self-service, sacrifice to come and for this will to be done. 
and to actually process and engage our brains around that conversation and to work towards that, that this stuff starts to move forward. To us, for us to actually engage forgiveness and to wrestle with what does this look like in this individual scenario and situation. Not to just put a blanket statement over something, well, the Bible says. No, to actually wrestle with it. What does love demand in this moment? And to process that. It's when this more beautiful way forward is no longer an idea or just a thought, but it actually becomes this real flesh and blood kind of thing. That we would be a community, you would be an individual finding a more beautiful way forward. So with that, I invite you to take a moment and to just pray. If you want to pray out loud, you can pray out loud. If you just want to breathe deep and read, you can do that. But I'll read it out loud here in this moment as we pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, would your kingdom, your love come and your will, your love be done on earth here and now in this moment as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I hope you're well and that if there's anything that we could do for you, that you feel free to reach out on the comments on, on the uh, YouTube stream that's happening now, or you can reach out on social media or through our website. We want to do everything we can to be as present with each other as much as we can in this moment. And so I hope that if there's something going on or you know somebody in need, feel free to reach out because that's what we're here to do, to be this embodiment of love towards one another and the world around us.